And the Ninth Doctor only did one one series, didn't he? Is that right? He did. Uh, and that was partly because he felt he had an acting career to get back to. I understand. You know, the, the danger is like being James Bond. You get kind of stuck. Um, and so that was... Am I right in thinking that's the reason he left? Yes, I mean, it was decided that he would, you know, it was... In a way, he came in and he did what was needed. He got Doctor mm-hmm. back on that. He made it that much more modern and and exciting. And uh, yeah, and, and had other things. You know, he wanted to do it for him. It was, I think, it was a very big change. He hadn't played that kind of family friendly, more straightforward hero. And although he had to portray a lot of darker elements because he's a survivor of the Great Time War in uh, in you know, this iteration of of the program. Um, yeah, I think it was it was decided that uh, it would be it'd be good for them to re-establish the format and then uh, widen it up further. And then somewhere in the casting room, I don't know who is in charge of casting, you might know, somebody had the absolutely brilliant idea of replacing him with David Tennant, who before this had been known he'd been in a program called Casanova, I think, just prior. Yeah. Uh, which Matthew Davis wrote. So that's that answers uh, your question yeah. of where the casting comes from. Right. Uh, and he seemed to to solidify that success. And I think of the modern era, he's most often thought of as everybody's favourite doctor, I think, on a poll of the, of the public. They'd yes. pick him. So what would you say, MG, was your feeling about the David Tennant doctor? What did you think he was like? He's not my favourite, to be honest, but he's, he's you know, he's one of the favourites. Um I th- but paradoxically, I think most of my favourite episodes are in his era. Um, he was just a bit too cocky for me. That's, you know, there's an episode that I really like where his cockiness just goes and he's actually in fear of his life and he doesn't save the day in that episode. And I really like him then. You know, I like him when he's when he's not so cocky anymore, when he's actually having to kind of be completely sincere. Um, that's that's an episode called Midnight. Um, so I really, really like him in that episode. And there are some other episodes where I really, really like him. But his kind of little, it's just personally to me, I don't, I don't love his kind of cocky asides all the time. It gets a bit much. He's a bit cheeky chappy. But even even saying that, he's still like in my top five. I would say. <laughs> For me, yeah. I think um, what worked, and I didn't think it would work, is a doctor actually having a romantic relationship um, with the Billy Piper character. Um, and seeing that side of him, I think, was was new. And I think it, it meant that when they get parted, there was a genuinely emotional parting of the companion then. He's always emotional. He's always sad, you know, to leave them like, but that um, one had much more, well, in my view, uh, the way I read that is I felt it had less of a melancholy and more of a sacrifice. Well, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, and that's one of the things I least liked, to be honest, was that kind of where his regeneration episode where he just can't let go. That's personal, though, but, you know, I wasn't used to seeing the Doctor like that, just so kind of emotional and like, I don't want to die. <laughs> She's too tough, isn't she? I know, I think I thought it was great. Um, yeah, so, I mean that's a that's a huge episode that one because it's got you've got Daleks fighting Cybermen, which is keeping all the it's a bit yeah. every, everything but the kitchen sink that one, isn't it? It's all going on in it, but yeah, yeah it's somehow the, the it all hits home with that final sacrifice you just say that you know you have to have to let go of the person you love to save the uh, the universe, and then 
Yeah, I think there. I mean, I was I was in floods watching watching that one after today. Oh. Well, by then, I was used to Doctor Who making me cry. <laughs> Um, and then I'm trying to think of the name of the next companion with him. Um, it was Martha. Martha, that's right. Look, I'm coming across as such a know-it-all on this. I'm very no, sorry. No, 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 but this, this is why you're here. here. This is why you're here. Triggering. Yeah, I did say to Julia, I'm not such an incredible effort. You know, I've kind of watched almost all of Doctor Who and really liked it and particularly nerded out about some episodes and some eras, but I, I, I do not have the encyclopedic knowledge that I know you have. Oh, I, 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 oh, I sometimes I just hear myself. <laughs> No, this is when it's this is when your your knowledge is 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 wanted so feel feel good and um, yeah. the, the martha companion i felt was less successful because she had a kind of unrequited element to her um but she does get to be in one of my favorite of all time episodes which is the shakespeare one oh, i love the shakespeare one it was silly but also huge fun i just really enjoyed that because it brought together all sort of wonderful if you know your shakespeare but also, if you know your Harry Potter, um, there's all sorts of little Easter eggs in there for you, which is great fun. And then, is it after that we get Donna? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so Donna, played by Catherine Tate, that was a. Re- I think they did I mean, a really good, successful thing there because um, having the older woman who basically tells him, it, it, "Here's the answer." She's the answer to his cockiness because she basically yeah. sort of says, "Oh, you know, stop being so silly." A lot of the time um so that yeah. was that was great fun they definitely come across as being really great friends and i think that that was really yeah. lovely at that point because it, it it felt like the romance thing needed to be put on the back burner after the yeah. rose and yeah. the martha as yeah. you say fancying him but not getting anything back i think having the two of them just as a couple of mates running through time and space and you know it didn't stop you know the emotional stuff because you know there's a very affecting story in in, in donna's run called turn left where we find out what would happen if she um if she hadn't met the doctor and it gets very dark and you know it's a it's Bernard Cribbington that makes me cry you know I mean it's mm. like it's a wonderful wonderful story um and uh yeah Donna is hilarious but of course it's also very tragic when uh when she has to uh, has to leave the program you know because uh she has to uh, forget the doctor and uh and if she does remember and if him. she gets to remember him. Yay! Yes, exactly. So it feels like there's some closure coming with the uh, the stories coming up. So that's uh, yeah. that's good. We'll, we'll discover just how uh, she and the Doctor get back together and uh, and what's in store. And then we move to the Matt Smith era, and we mentioned the like the Peter Davidson choice. They've got they went young uh, with Matt Smith. I think it was helped by the fact that Matt Smith has. A bit like uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, he's got a very distinctive, different kind of face. So even though he's young, he felt as though he could be Doctor Who because yes, there's something very fairly, little alien young, about him. Yeah, and the old man and the young man's body. I mean, this is the thing, as, as obviously as the, as the Doctors go on with the casting, the actual character himself is getting older and older. And uh, I think Matt Smith's Doctor eventually dies of, regenerates from old age. You know, he's been around for so long, ironically. But uh, yes, he's, yeah, I think he had that wonderful, ungainly alien sense, as you say, in and a really interesting energy that he brought to the character. Also, you see quickly he increases in confidence as he goes along, because it was a huge, hugest part on TV, really, and to to go to uh, someone relatively unknown and young like that, it was a genius piece of casting. And there was a great... regeneration episode is my favourite, actually. Which one's that? His regeneration episode. I think it's called The Eleventh Hour. It's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Yes. And a wonderful introduction of a, a new companion as well. I think one of my favourite ones in that is the one with James Corden, the one where he's the... The, the lodger. The lodger. Yeah. I think it's just such a wonderful 
Um, yeah, that was really very, very funny. Yes, turning uh, turning uh, Paul Craig's life upside down. Yeah, and we yes. got Amy um, and uh, oh, I forget the name of her husband. Uh, Roy. 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 So that was nice to have a married couple and, and sort of follow that arc. It was a bit different. And then we've got, uh, who comes next? We've got Clara. Clara. Oh, Clara uh, stuck around for quite a long time, didn't she? Clara. I mean, my dog will get excited because her name is Clara. Because um, my, <laughs> my children named her after after the companion. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's a lot of running up and down. So yeah. I'll try and... She um, I think one of the things which I had a problem with with Clara is they kind of tried to make her as the the, the most important thing in the universe. I I struggle with that bit, but anyway, <laughs> with Rose as well though, because Rose was connected yeah they did. To You're Paris. right. You're right. So that you know they they had form for that, and I think to be honest that 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 was probably a, an important evolution in Doctor Who that you know that you don't just have these randos who get picked up and travel around with the doctor, but there's a reason that they're picked, if you like. Right. There is there is a inherent, you know, kind of it's not just random who he's who he is hooking up with, if you like. In in a platonic sense, obviously. And, not always. And was River Song that character introduced already, or was this a Matt Smith? He was introduced in an episode with uh, David Tennant, which is one oh. of my favourites as well. I think Silence in the Library. And it's wonderful to see. This is where they're doing the Time Traveller's Wife storyline. And they so they have, have you read the Time Traveller's Wife? Yeah. It's about this kind of, okay, Time Traveller who, who who meets his wife oh, in a different yeah. order. So they do that. They have River Song. The first, she meets David Tennant and goes like, oh, you're very young. Let's do diaries. And she realises he's never met her before. And then she realises that she's coming to the end of her life because she knew that, you know, the last time she meets him is the first time he meets her. It's an amazing episode. It's one of my it favourites. It's a lovely two-parter. And his reaction, his reaction to her is just wonderful. If you watch that performance by Tennant, he's, you know, in the beginning he's a bit like freaked out because of the way she's touching him and looking at him and then he begins to become more comfortable with it, you know, especially after he shares some information with her um, that he, you know, that, so she shares some information with him that proves how much he trusts her in the future. And Donna is amazing in that episode too because she sees this dynamic and she's watching, but not like a jealous not like no. she's jealous, but like she's like she's his sister or his mom or something. Like, who is this woman? Who is she to you? And then, of course, she realizes, hang on, you know him in the future, but you don't know me. Why? Mm. There's all sorts of yeah, lovely, lovely touches. Oh, no. Because the character was created by Stephen Moffat, and then Stephen Moffat takes over showrunning duties from Russell T. Davis at the start of the Matt Smith era. So she kind of comes back because obviously he's, you know, he felt that she had a lot of potential to see those uh what for her earlier experiences meeting the doctor, which for the doctor are kind of obviously occurring yeah. to And you also feel like it's promised to you because at the end of the episode, you say, you've got all this great stuff to look forward to this and that and yeah. the other. She gives all these details and you're like, oh, we're going to see this. And sure enough, and sure enough the next several see. years, it happens. And is it at, at this time, we've also, just so we're keeping our, our, our timeline in, 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 in step that some of the spin-off series start being made like Torchwood and uh, eventually the Sarah Jane adventures. That was way That's back when was, Tenet was doing it. Yeah. The, yeah. So it's the two thousands. Okay. So just people know that we're aware of these other things going on. So uh, Matt Smith has quite another long, fairly long time as Dr. Who. Um, and he hands over to Peter Capaldi. And I remember that um, Peter Capaldi. So that's again, a bit like, the shift to going old again, older. Um, mm-hmm. Peter Capaldi was also 
a huge Doctor Who fan, a real, and he's also an amazing actor. But there is an element of the 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 Hylerson days of the two thousands seem to be passing quite quickly, and so his time at the Doctor was shorter and probably a bit less successful in terms of audience numbers. Um, but though he does get a very brilliant episode as well, isn't he the one with the the Groundhog Day one? Where yeah. uh, do you know the name of that episode? It's called Heaven Sent. Heaven oh, Sent, what? which well, I thought was the, uh, I remember the watching by himself. It's been him by himself as being stalked by that yeah. mysterious thing. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a very unusual. I mean, this is what Doctor Who does so nicely: is it changes what it does within its own rules. And as you say, it's pretty much him on his own. Just as a, another really good episode is um, the, when the Weeping Angels are introduced under David Tennant. David Tennant hardly appears in it. Uh, yeah. They change the rules on that one, and again, it's a totally brilliant episode. Um, so we've got Peter Capaldi who played a. I suppose it was a bit Colin Bakerish in that it's a bit more angry. Yes, um, it was meant to be doing more of a Bill Hartnell. Actually, he was kind of. He was going back to yeah, yeah. that sort of like, but they kind of cranked up to eleven because at least you know Hartnell had you know the, the the cheeky twinkle in his eye. It's hard to imagine Hartnell ranting at Robin Hood that he wants to chop his head off and kick it around like a football. You know, is it felt like. Kind of more extreme. I think part of the I don't part of the the audience popularity issue there might be that I think kids were very used. You know, Matt Smith was young and heroic. David Tennant young and heroic, and the kid in the playground can run around pretending to be the doctor. But when he, the doctor is more a grandfather figure, well, no one really wants to go around pretending to be their own granddad. You know, it's and so I think maybe a kind of a shift in um, how accessible the storylines were, combined with a brilliant actor, but uh, but yeah. a very different sort of a doctor um maybe maybe did impact on um on how essential family viewing doctor who became at that point and then of yeah. course peter cabaldi um hands over to number 13 who is jodie whittaker surprise surprise she's a woman um get over it world you know <laughs> it's a wonderful moment that reveal Everyone yeah that. which which we get all, the other comparable role where you get this, of course, is um, James Bond. It's always, should we have a black James Bond? Should we have a female James Bond? And so on. And the filmmakers, to a certain extent, do have to provide us with this uh, eventually, just so they don't, so the choice of another white guy isn't such a retrograde step. But they did pick on a, another lovely actor. Um, but the problem she had, I feel, is that her character, the way she, her doctor was characterised, was very kind of it, oh, didn't have authority. She felt a bit like a slightly over enthusiastic primary school teacher sometimes. Um, and it's not her fault because I've seen her do other roles where she's not at all like that. But there was very much the clowny aspect had come in with her character. Yeah, I think again with Doctor Who, it, it's often about reacting against what's gone before. Yeah, Eldie was very kind of serious and and grumpy. They wanted to get someone who again was very um, was the reverse, and and the darkness was taken away, and she's having the best time exploring the universe, and she's got a whole bunch of friends with her. I think her problems perhaps weren't with her own character, but the fact that she. Because you've got to find screen time for a TARDIS yeah. or in a forty-five minute episode. I mean, that's that's a, a real challenge. Um, and I think that it works better when 
I mean, she goes down to having two companions, which, which is a bit more, uh, gives her a bit more room. But I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's a shame. I'd love to have seen her having a, you know, just her and a single companion having that dynamic, I think would have been really cool. But I think also we have to accept that you know, Doctor Who shifting to a Sunday was, was pretty difficult in terms of getting viewers in on a saturday night it's perfect for kids to be brought to a program like that because it's on at the right time you know the next day is a sunday whereas you know this came off dr Hickey was coming after country file on a sunday night when it's bath time you know and it's school the next day and and so you, i don't think you ever got enough enough children watching in enough numbers to really kind of like you know maintain all the tie-in stuff all the merchandise and all the excitement and the buzz in the playground which keeps people kind of coming back to it um, I think that was partly the problem. And it dropped from the Christmas Day schedule and turned up on New Year's Day when everyone's feeling a little bit exhausted and hungover and sort of like ratty. So it, it doesn't quite have yeah. the same the same sort of like feel good uh, factor about it, perhaps uh, during that time. Because I think I think Jodie was was a lovely doctor. I thought she was really good. Yeah, I, I think hmm, I, I think she could have been. I think there's so for, for example, there's a couple of episodes which I think stand up among the best so there's the one about the division of the Punjab oh, mm, uh, yes, right. yeah. yeah and then there's one um about Rosa Parks that's really good so yes, they did, which, uh, Mallory, Mallory Blackman co-wrote of course yeah and I love the fact that um the companions were in the role of being having to be on the wrong that side of history in that confrontation so as not to change history Mm. Um, wonderful, and I loved that. I think it was great, and I also enjoyed her last episode. I thought um, when exactly. she handed it, yeah. So yeah. she right. did have some good moments. Okay, we've taken a while, but to get through, but it is sixty years we've been talking about. So well done us for getting through. In less um, than sixty minutes. So clearly, there are things which are inseparable from the Doctor. So we've got the TARDIS. Um, we've got the Doctor being able to regenerate. Um, we've got the Doctor with his companions or her companions. We've got the travelling in time, the travelling in space. But I was talking to an American science fiction writer just yesterday, um, a guy called David Levine. And um, when I mentioned Doctor Who, he said, oh, yes, that's very British. What do you think it is? Can you identify within the Doctor Who world what it is the cultural aspect of it which makes it feel distinctly British uh, as opposed to the Star Treks and the Star Wars and the rest of them? Well, it's a different, I mean, it's a very different kind of show. I would say that the Americans don't, you know, there is no nothing quite like Doctor Who, which is about a sole, you know, heroic traveller. The other things are much more ensemble and they're much more, if you think about it, they're quite militaristic, really. All of the Star Trek franchise is militaristic, even if it's a friendly military, even if later they realise that, you know, the Federation is basically NATO or whatever, and there's problems with that. It's still basically a military show. And Doctor is nothing like that. Um, how is it British? I mean, the Doctor espouses, I think, what would, would be thought of as the best of British values, you know, sort of tolerance and, you know, good humour and fairness and justice and all of that kind of things. Um, they'd probably think Doctor Who is incredibly woke in America. Whereas, you know, it, some people say that here too, but actually it's always been that way. It's always been, you know, it's always been interested in things like, you know, the environment and science 
getting out of hand and doing destructive things. And, you know, there have always been female companions right from the beginning. So, you know, and they've always been taken notice of and the doctor's always been, you know, not at all sexist. All of those things existed from the beginning. So when people say, oh, it's woke, it's, it's always been like that. And I think that's a good thing. But that, you wouldn't see that in America, I don't think. Yes, and I think also it's the doctor as well. It's the it's the product as well of uh, the British television system, which um, you know basically you get a producer and a script editor in later years, a showrunner and some exec producers, but basically making it to their own vision and not having to satisfy the various demands of of a network, perhaps, which makes it a. There's a there was a, a a greater simplicity to the BBC commissioning process. You know, it was they didn't have to rely on sponsors or you know they were a production company pitching to a network so there were probably fewer compromises when it was originally brought along so it's it's britishness is also a, a kind of a function of the way british television was made particularly on the bbc um it remains along with top gear the only show that uh, the bbc owns all rights in for example um but uh i think that yes it's yeah i did the doctors always you know been British and enjoyed a cup of tea and, you know, notions of you know, play. He also sends up the establishment as well. I mean, some people say, you know, John Pertwee's doctor is, you know, much more of a Tory in many ways because he's there and is, you know, being dandy and talking about fine wines and everything. But also he's scathingly anti-small-minded uh, attitudes. He sort of lampoons politicians with ideas of, you know, you know, Britain for the you know, England for the English or uh, things like that is always preaching coexistence with aliens. You know that humans can be better than they are, and I think that that, uh, that appealing to this this essential British soul of uh, you know fair play and uh, and and doing right and and fighting fighting evil without weapons. Yeah, with a with a sonic screwdriver for heaven's sake. You know, which is <laughs> excellent at removing. Not even that sometimes. Tools. And indeed, by the time Peter Davison comes along, he's lost the sonic screwdriver. Um, it's interesting that it gets brought back in um, the reboot because it's it's a kind of a it's a way of bypassing what in the old days when you had four or six episodes to tell a story, you'd have a five ten minute sequence to get out of, and the sonic can basically do all sorts of things it never used to be able to do, which help you tell the story faster. So it helps the pace keep up. Um, likewise, the psychic paper, which uh, the Doctor has uh, in the, the reboot, yes, uh, lets him into situations and be accepted as an authority figure in a way that might take one or two episodes in the old series. So you can see that they're kind of, you know, they're very cleverly uh, short-circuiting some of the classic Doctor Who storylines, but they're all still there, as as MG says. They're all, um, it's always been there. The concerns for the environment, the uh, the need for coexistence, and the... Yeah, basically, good people coming together to uh, overthrow evil. I mean, the which, sonic uh, screwdriver is basically a wand, isn't it? Let's expect it, yes, it's, it's become yeah. increasingly a wand. Yes, yeah. but it can't. It can't destroy somebody. It can't. It's not a gun. No, exactly. Yeah. It's a tool. Um, even if it's a tool for opening a computer in the same way it would open the door uh, and allowing information out, as you say, um, which is great because you have children running around the playground. With what is basically, you know, a, a Swiss Army knife of intergalactic proportions. You know, it's not a, a, a ray gun or an antimatter blaster. You know, so it's it requires ingenuity to use, which is, uh, you know, very key to the, to the Doctor's character. He is the cleverest person in the room on the planet quite often, um, and and yeah, he also makes mistakes. So we don't ever feel he's this aloof super being because he's grumpy sometimes or he's 
cocky as we were discussing earlier or but you know he'll normally be brought up short on one of these shortcomings at some point in the same way that every every child every person in the country is brought up short on their own fault sometimes so i think it's another reason why we can relate to that and you know learn from it and and grow through it i think again that's quite a, that's quite british in its uh in its uh sense i think one one of the areas is um so the science fiction in america grew out of westerns you know westerns were the big dominant cultural force and then it became science fiction and so things like star trek are they're searching the final frontier is like a wet going into the wild west um i think the uh, the method of exploration wasn't in the british conscience wasn't you know pushing forward a frontier it was the gentleman explorers going off into you know africa somewhere um that sort of, and in HG Wells, you've got the, the experimenter going off into the future and so on. I think it's much more of that solitary exploration um, <clears> rather <throat> than possibly is feeding into that. So a final question, where do you think Doctor Who is going to go next? What's going to, we've got Russell T. Davis back for, for a bit. I don't know how long, but we've got him back for a bit. He's, he's going to be around for a while. Um, I can't answer this because, of course, I know the answer. Oh, <laughs> because, oh, oh well, that's um, really exciting. Cause, cause uh, yes, because uh, I'm working on the... Uh, the, uh, the really don't have it. I mean, the thing is, there is a, there's a characteristic style to RTD, and I just think we're going to get back to that. And I'm, I'm happy with that because, you know, I think he's written basically most of the best Doctor Who that there ever has been, or either he's written it or produced it himself. So I'm very, I'm very happy that he's coming back. You know, I think the show will be in fantastic hands. He's incredible. He's a great writer. Yeah. I mean, that you know, people, people who learn to write on soap operas, you know, on Hollyoaks or on, like Frank Cottrell Boyce learned to write on um, on Hollyoaks, and he's a great writer. And uh, RTD learned on Coronation Street, and um, I can't there's another really good writer who came out of Coronation Street. I can't remember who it is, but they are Adele Rose, right? They're they're fantastic writers. Um, and they can write dialogue and characters just so well. And that's what made RTD's Doctor Who so fantastic. So like Philip Hinchcliffe's era from, from the Tom Baker, they kind of grabbed a lot of the best science fiction tropes that were going. Mm. And they kind of made monster episodes and sort of, you know, they, they basically took all of the ideas they were in science fiction and made them into episodes. And so that, that kind of laid down a lot of the lore of Doctor Who. Um, and now we're not really getting, I mean, we're getting stuff that's, you know, made based on like AI and but actually the kind of big science fiction concepts were explored a long time ago. So where RTD went was he said, well, where haven't we gone? We haven't gone into people. We haven't gone into the, the human dynamics, into families, into relationships. So we're going to take all of that and put that into the existing Doctor Who. And that was the great development. Um, and, you know, that it's still working. I think there were some issues with the last, you know, a few couple of seasons. We've, we've discussed why, not seasons, but, you know, the last couple of Doctors, why they didn't work as well. I think RTD knows what he's doing. And I'm sure Shooting will be a, a fantastic Doctor who is fantastic in sex education. He's a great yes. person. Yes, I mean, I think um, this, is, this is all very true. And it's, you know, it's basically RTD, yes, it's, it's back in and cranked up to 11. I mean, it's there's some genuinely, genuinely jaw-dropping stuff coming up. It's wonderful. Um and you know it's also it's a celebratory year 60th anniversary um so um the first episode is is based on a um comic strip from doctor who weekly in 1980 um that's the starting point for the episode so it's like you know it's this joyful um 
embrace of not just Doctor Who, but also you know, horror, is it? as well. Yeah. Hmm? Not the Stockbridge horror, is it? That's the best. That is a fantastic comic strip. No, it's a few books. I thought that's the best that. one. Yeah, I that wish they did that, that. This is, but this one goes back to when I was like, you know, eight or nine or something, you know, so wow. it's, uh, it's really funny that that's become, uh, you know, a sort of starting point. Um, but yeah, huge drama. And it's, you know, it's never looked better either. Now it's, it's uh, you know, with Disney Channel have got involved as well. I mean, as we can see from the trailer on um, on YouTube um, and on online, the effects are just absolutely through the roof. It's it's on par with the best of anything Hollywood can get out there. So um, there was always that kind of conception of all the sets wobble and they do this and do that. And, you know, that's it's like the idea that Daleks can't climb stairs. Those ideas are kind of like dusty and clunky and sit in the uh the psyche of those who don't believe but uh i think doctor who doesn't give you any option now but to believe and it's gonna be big and bold and fantastic that's brilliant so two final things one is i want you to give us the episode we should watch if we haven't done a complete watch all doctor who which is the one episode that we should watch and then the final thing is um, about if Doctor Who was going to visit another fantasy world, where in all the fantasy world should we send him? So let's start off with your must-see episode. It could be from any of the 60 years. Oh, Steve, have you got an answer? Um, I would say from the classic series, I would say City of Death, which was written by uh, a time when Douglas Adams was uh, script editing the show and he co-wrote that one under a pseudonym. Um, it's wonderful, witty. It's Tom Baker and uh, Lana Ward, who, um, again, their, their romance was off screen, but uh, they actually got married. Um, so it's the Doctor and Romana in Paris, uh, filmed in Paris as well, um, with this incredible adventure uh, where an alien splintered into 12 parts is... Uh, basically using the fact he's back in time to get artists to knock up, you know, extra Gutenberg Bibles or Mona Lisa's so he can sell them to fund his time travel experiments. I mean, it's bonkers, but it's brilliant. Um, and from the new series, I would say uh, Blink, the uh, the first Weeping Angels episode that you mentioned earlier. I think that's a wonderful one to start anyone off on Doctor Who. Yeah, that'd be my one as well. Uh, MG, how about you? From Classic, who I would say Genesis of the Daleks, which is also a Tom Baker episode. Um and it's you know basically you find out what happened, what, what where the where the Daleks came from, and it has a really amazing moment where the Doctor has an opportunity to kill the Daleks, you know, to destroy the kind of you know the the baby Daleks so that they'll never exist because it's a whole experiment by the, this guy Davros, and he's you know he's got the wires there, he's going, can I do it? You know, do I have that right? It's wonderful, and it's like very serious science fiction as well. And you also see your kind of Nazi origins, the you know, of the Daleks. Um, from New Who, I would say I would have said Blink, but you've already said Blink. Um, I'd say the Silence in the Library, which is the one where he meets River Song at the end of her at the end of her life. And it's also a really good science fiction episode as well. You know, it's an amazing big library, but it's empty. Why? Why is it empty? And there's a really good scary alien, and it's got Donna, who's the best companion. And that's saying a lot because Sarah, Sarah Jane Smith, who's in Genesis of the Daleks, she would have been my favourite companion before that. Yeah. Donna's got amazing, you know, uh, Catherine Jack has amazing, amazing comic timing that she can just say two words in just a certain way. And then the episode that it's kind of paired with 
um, also is fantastic. And these are really good science fiction concepts as well. So, And it's written by Stephen Moffat, who may not have been the best producer but, or showrunner, but he certainly was the best writer apart from RTD, I would say. And, and, and Robert Holmes back in the olden days. Thank you. And then where are we going to go off in a fantasy world? If we were taking the doctor, just for, not that we'd actually make this, but just what would be fun to imagine the the, the chemistry. <laughs> this is probably Doctor Who is kind of he's already been to a lot of these places. I mean, in, in, no, I mean like I, for example, I would take him to uh, ne- um, Wonderland, like Alice in Wonderland, Wonderland, just to sort of have the the mind. He'd probably get on really well with Lewis Carroll. I'd like to see the episode. You know, he sometimes goes back and meets the writer. That's the one I'd like to see is the one where he meets Lewis Carroll and they ha- and in fact Wonderland is generated by um an, an encounter with Doctor Who. It almost writes itself, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> Give me a call if you want that one written. I'll come and I'll come and do it. I'd quite like to see him in the, the world of Star Wars, actually. Like, you know, some of the uh TV you know, and or something like that. Because I, I actually have to say I really do like the more serious Doctor Who episodes where he's in a kind of existential battle, you know, in uh, in a war or something like that with the with the Daleks or something. And I think he'd be quite interesting there. It'd be fun to have him sort of just in the background of a scene in a bar where there he is, sort of sipping a a multicolored drink, just watching the 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 goings on. You see, oh, it's Doctor Who. Yes, he's he's got there. How about you, Steve? Would you like to crash him into any other universes? Yeah, I'd like. I'd probably like him to go somewhere, you know, Marvel-wise. You know, sort of turning up if you know during the uh, the battle for the Infinity Gauntlet or something would be great fun to have uh, Doctor sort of like squaring up to Thanos in the midst of all this superhero mayhem. Uh, the doctor's sort of like running about there as well would be. Uh... <laughs> he does. He does fit strangely well, doesn't he? Because he is a kind of British superhero. Yes, I suppose you, maybe a Doctor Who, Doctor Strange team up would be quite fun. Because you'd have Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch uh, playing alongside. Uh... That would genuinely work. Mine, yeah. you know, our, our ideas are just more like mischief making. Whereas that, because I think the American concept of what a British superhero would be like is a uh, um, Captain. I, I can't even remember the name of the uh, the British oh, one. He's a British superhero. What? Yeah, you think mm, yes. that's not really that's not really us. Whereas Doctor Who turning up, I'm there. Well, as I say, Warlock has a British accent. <laughs> Warlock has a British accent. He's one of the new um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Actually, that guy, what's his name? Will Poulter. He, if they ever cast a, a white man as a Doctor Who again. I think Will Poulter would be good. Oh, he's a, he's such a fave ever since he was Eustace in Voyage of the Dawn Treader, yeah. walking, walking around saying, I want to speak to the British Consul. I have loved him ever since that. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much um, for travelling through time and space with me. Uh, and uh, we all look forward to tuning in to see the next round of Doctor Who. Thank you very much. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to MythMakers Podcast, brought to you by the Oxford Centre for Fantasy. Visit OxfordCentreForFantasy.org to join in the fun. Find out about our online courses, in-person stays in Oxford, plus visit our shop for great gifts. Tell a friend and subscribe wherever you find your favourite podcasts worldwide. <laughs>